Hey, he's Jake, and I'm Matt. And welcome to Pat's Chat, the UK's best New England Patriots podcast. Hey guys, how's it going? And welcome to another episode of Pat's Chat. It is myself, Matt, and I am joined by a very, very special guest. He is affectionately known as the big man and one half of the Five Yard Rush um, co-hosts, um, or hosts, I should say, but he has got a greater team around him, which is great, and you should go check out Five Yard Rush if you're into fancy football. It is, of course, Marf I'm speaking about. How's it going? Good, yeah, thanks for the intro. Yeah, it's uh, it's good. It's been a, a really busy season. Um, and normally at this point, I'm backing in and, and looking at draft prospects, but uh, somehow that's not happened yet. <laughs> no, it's it's maybe it's down to TB12, but you know. Yeah, well, partly. I mean, he, he also did do his best to try and uh, give the game to the Packers on Sunday. But yeah, yeah um, no, it is a, a lot to do with him and... Uh, and, and the Buccaneers. So yeah, always uh, always good to talk to you and, and good to be on. Yeah, well, thanks very much for coming on. I'd, uh, Stocks was on earlier in the season as a, a Broncos fan when we were playing the Broncos and I was going to get in touch about next season when we the Patriots play the Buccaneers. But, you know, we've brought this forward ever so slightly for now. Um, hopefully you'll, you'll have the time to come back on for next season as well. But um, before we get into what you were just speaking about with the Packers and the inevitable, what led from that is the Super Bowl in a few days' time, is let's talk about yourself, if you don't mind, um, just for a little bit. Um, for people who don't know the story, not so much about um, Five Yard Rush, but yourself and the, how you became a Buccaneers fan, you obviously, um, you were over there, um, for people that don't know, you went to high school there, and for I was thinking about this earlier on, you know, we probably all grew up with programs such as Saved by the Bell and Sweet Valley High or whatever it might be is your is your taste. And how did that come about? And how did you end up in Florida and going to high school there? Yeah, good question. So I was 14. Um, I had not an uncle who had a holiday home in Florida and um, they went every year. Um, so they had a holiday home in Orlando. Well, it wasn't in Orlando. It's in a little area called Claremont, which isn't far from Kissimmee, and that's where Disney is. People mm-hmm. assume that Disney's actually in Orlando. It's not. It's similar to like saying that Gatwick is a London airport, but it's not. It's, <laughs> it's not in London at all. Um, it's not that far out, but it technically isn't in Orlando. Um, it is in the same county. Um, so you know, they used to go on holiday there every year. I, you know, we didn't go, my mum and, and I, but. Um, they decided, I think probably a couple of years prior to us moving, that they were going to open a property management business and that the property management business, so property management company, for those that don't know, are people that get holiday homes, they get a company home and rent it out. Basically, they and then you just get money from them. So they look after the cleaning, the rental and uh, all the bookings and everything. And then you get the money from it and then you tell them every year, um, when you're going to go over and they make sure nobody's in and the uh, property management company that was looking after their house was actually for sale so rather than having to set up a whole new business 
uh, they were able to buy an existing business with existing contracts, uh, etc. And they wanted to know if my mum wanted to do it. And it was just my mum and I who lived together. My sister is a bit older. She had moved out. Um, so it was just her and I. And my mum went over and she decided to, you know, invest and, and us make the move. And at first I wasn't overly keen. I just sort of just got into my sort of school and, and things were going well. Um, getting ready for GCSE sort of thing. And uh, then it just happened. I went over there. Uh, I, I think about five months before we moved. Um, spent some time there and, and then yeah so that's how it all came about and uh, it was really awkward my first day so what happened was you take all your transcripts and your uh, school reports and records over and they'd noticed I even though I took all my exams early and finished them and got a full year report um, they noticed that I didn't technically finish the year even though I'd done everything so it actually put me down a grade okay. which meant I was put back and had to do a year and repeat almost at first and all my teachers I'd be in class and this was all material I'd done not just a year ago but I'd done three or four years ago and was like this was all stuff that my teachers just look at me like you've covered all this haven't you it was it was all pretty basic stuff this we're talking ninth grade which is your I'm trying to think of the easy equivalent here so the kind of the grades are a year behind the grade is a year behind what we do here so we effectively if you go on to a level your a level is your 13th year they they tend to have it one behind so ninth grade is freshman year in high school okay so i was supposed to be a sophomore they put me down to freshman so they only have two terms which they call semesters um they decided to move me back up and, and put me into the right grade so that i ended up going into the right year um so i had to kind of <laughs> and then i had to catch up on that year to pass so it was, and i had to go to summer school um so it's really interesting as to how it was um yeah a little bit of it pop culture does resonate and i look at the what happens and think yeah they're very clicky um you get the the prep boys and the prep girls and the cheerleaders and uh, you get the geeks and the dorks and you get, uh, you know, the the goths and they all definitely all segregate. But school over there is absolutely massive. I mean, I, I try and tell people about the scale. So I'll give you an idea. In my year, so just my year group, yeah. when I graduated, there were 860 kids. <laughs> so when I went to graduation, you couldn't host that at school. Um, those school assembly things that you see in films, doesn't happen there's too many kids there were four thousand kids at my school Jeepers. so it's massive it's absolutely huge so you don't get those prep rally kind of thing i mean i'm sure there was like some voluntary ones but you don't get like everyone sits in an auditorium and listens to the principal mm. that doesn't happen or it didn't happen in my school it was far too big like you couldn't fit four thousand people into into a room uh, unless it was the stadium yeah so that didn't happen um, but yeah, uh, we did have to do our graduation because it's too big in the uh, stadium that the or the indoor arena that the Orlando Magic use. It was called the TD Waterhouse. I don't know what it's called now, but okay. it was in downtown Orlando. So we had people, our parents and family and friends were all congregated up there like it was a sports game and <laughs> you have to stand up. But the problem is graduation is three hours long. So because you have to wait for every kid to go up and get Shoot their diploma. <laughs> it's pretty bad. But yeah, it was it was very cool. Very cool experience. I went to school with some uh, interesting names. I was sharing this with someone the other day. Um, Tracy McGrady's younger brother, Chance McGrady. 
was okay. someone I went to school with um, and knew. I went to school with um, someone by the name of Ty Tryon, who most people probably aren't aware of, but the guy was the youngest ever player to lead a um, PGA golf tour event when he led the first round of the DC Open, age 16. Oh, wow. Um, he also got his tour card, and then he got um, mono, which is like a form of glandular fever, and it kind of ruined his year on tour, and he never quite got back on. He ended up playing on the Challenger Tour for a number of years, but he was in the Tiger Woods game of 2004. <laughs> and uh, one time I was in class with him and ESPN came in and said, can we pull him out and uh, have a chat with him? Because he was dubbed <laughs> like the new Tiger Woods, as is anyone who is good at 16, 17, like 16, 15 years old, who's being invited to play on tour events. Mm. And he never disgraced himself. Like he was making cuts or was very close. He was a very, very talented player. Uh, he was an interesting guy. So, yeah, there was quite a few. And then I also, a rival school not far away was um, Cypress Creek. And we had the opportunity. Went in the first round of the NBA draft straight from high school. So I remember watching him. And then he ended up in the NBA the very next year. He went the same year as LeBron James into the NBA. Who's that? Sorry, so you just cut out slightly there. Uh, Amari, sorry, Amari Stoudemire. Okay, yeah, yeah. Um, so oh, he wow. was some. So, so yeah, it, it's quite surreal. You come into school and there's hummers in the car park, and uh, yeah, all sorts. Uh, it, it was definitely Absolute an interesting madness. time. It, it's like a different scale. Um, you know, you wear your own clothes. You, you know, you trot around. There's lots of time in between. Um, it, it is a very a lot of it's depicted very well in films, but there is some some nuances, but it's just absolutely massive. Like I remember having one class um, or two classes and you have a 10 minute period between classes to get to your class because of the campus. And we had a North and a South campus and I had one set of classes that was a 14 minute walk. <laughs> <laughs> oh, like it, just, it couldn't be mad. done. It I think I could done shorter. I think I could almost walk around my high school in like 14 minutes there was in comparison there was what probably 1200 kids in total between the ages of 11 slash 12 and 17 slash 18 depending on how early or late you went to school sort of thing and yeah that was divided up and in, in, obviously our classes and various things so it was probably well, what did you get here, Murph? Roughly like 30 kids per class or something like that? Yeah, 30, 35 kids. So um, over there, classes were similar. So you don't have like common rooms and you don't have like forms mm. or anything like that. You just are in a grade. And then what you do is you pick your – it's a lot more free there. You can kind of pick the classes you want to do from an early age. Mm. Yeah. But you have was... a set a, num a number of requirement classes you have to do. So oh, okay. Yeah, so you still was... have to do like English maths and a language and all that sort of stuff, but you can pick a load of uh, the elective. So if you're really sporty, graphics, you can do a lot of that. Hmm. Um, you know, history, whatever you're kind of interested in, you can kind of do what you want to do. So yeah, it, fascinating time. Like um, I, I still talk to a few guys from high school and and try and relive, and it, it's it's a whole different world. Like. Um, getting through that and i was in school believe it or not in england very shy very quiet used to you know be very very introverted i guess mm -hmm. and then being in america you you don't survive like that you have to speak up you have to make yourself known especially when you're you're with so many kids and 
um it forces you to be more sociable if you're just quiet school's a nightmare so mm. I a lot of why I am the way I am is because of my student in high school. So, so that's where the, the Americanism is molded as in high school, effectively. Uh, yeah, I, I, listen, one hundred percent, and I deal. I still to this day struggle um, with certain words and spellings because they spell things differently. The punctuation's mm. different. The grammar's different. And so you think of dissertations, you think of all the big things you do in high, in high school, university, and you think about all the things that you write and do. I had to obviously effectively learn that. People think, oh, it's so easy, but it, it's not. Like, the whole way that you write is completely different um, okay. in terms of just simple things like punctuation, like where you use a comma, where you use a full stop. These are really small nuances where everything is graded to like the absolute minute detail you have to learn this sort of stuff so mm. i get sometimes i spell uh, organization with a z and things like that it's just <laughs> crazy um and sometimes if i'm around americans i go straight back into an american accent it's very very bizarre yeah it's a, it's a, i can understand that though because up here in the northeast of scotland it's got its own little dialect and uh, its own words and things and if i was to go on the phone with my mom i could speak to her in a certain way that is local and then I can speak to you like I am speaking now and then I remember when I stayed in Glasgow for a couple of years I can back up the road um because I'm and I'm of the type and I know and then this person exists because I am one of them it's not just a thing that you slip in how someone else talks so if you were around someone that was from Ireland for a month or so then you'd start I, myself personally I start like getting the sort of twang sort of thing so I totally understand what you're what you're meaning with that one uh, definitely yeah. it's it's a weird thing and people don't understand it but I'm definitely one of those that because I as I say I've picked up a, a Glasgow Ouija accent to a certain extent for a while and if I go back down the road then it slips and even the wife's like what are you speaking about why are you speaking so funny and so it has a term it's called a latent accent and I'm okay. exactly the same because I I've never lived in one place. I, as a kid, we moved around a fair bit and then moved to Florida and then I'm constantly moved. So, you know, I, I can't count the amount of times I've moved in my life. So I've always been in different places. So I don't have, like people say, oh, you've got a really strong accent. I, but if you were to try and locate it from a, a regional perspective, you probably couldn't. Hmm. Um, you'd know it's probably south of England and that's probably about as good as you get because it's, it's just, I don't know, it's just weird. <laughs> yeah no, it's what it is but yeah it's called a latent accent because i just pick up wherever i am i'll start to speak in that sort of tone and, and you're the same so hmm. yeah it's called it's called a latent accent so oh, there you go every day is a school day <laughs> and we're speaking about school <laughs> um so if we move on to the a bit about five-year rush and, and fantasy and i was listening to your the latest pod the other day with tom and i thought it was quite funny when you were speaking about going back to the the good old days in in a way but you know probably in these days it's a lot easier and more automated because of the apps like sleeper and things that you get but what tom mentioned i remember was um i must have been about that sort of age like 12 13 14 possibly a bit younger and used to get the the telegraph was the one that Mm -hmm. used to get the the Premier League fantasy in and what you were saying you used to pay that that money and post it away in every week and then you could had to buy the 
was it the Sunday Telegraph or the Monday one that they would have all That's their right. stuff in and get it all back. And I was just, uh, yeah, it brought back some memories listening to that. That's for sure. And I did that as well. Um, I, I did that. I played that for a while. I think when I first came back from America, I was still doing that kind of I think I did it before I went to America. And then I think I did it as well when I came back. Um, and you compete in the league in the, in the paper sort of thing. And then obviously it's all digitized now. But yeah, they were, they were good old days. Um, you know, Tom's mentioning you used a, a thing called Sandbox. I, I don't know it. Um, you know, for me, we played a lot of the, the scores were done manually and were put up on notice boards or posted. We used to have this. It's a funny thing. We used to have this thing like a notebook, basically. And what used to happen is um, we used to pass it from different people because you could, you, you know, I didn't have class with all my league mates and we had staggered lunches. You can't have 4,000 kids at lunch <laughs> any one time, right? Um, so you pass the notebook round to fill in your roster for the week. So, you know, one of my mates would hand it to me and then I would pass it on to someone else and we'd, we'd, we would meet and you didn't have mobile phones. Um, I think I did towards the end of high school. I think I had a, a mobile, but yeah. I think the first couple of years we didn't. And so, um, yeah, so you used to pass this notebook around. You used to write it in and make sure that nobody had cheated. And like, if you cross something out, you effectively had to do the whole thing again so it was written perfectly so it didn't look like it'd been tampered with and things like that so <laughs> crazy crazy times um but so much fun and it i think you because you had to work so much harder to make it work mm. you appreciated it a lot more um and i think i think what we've seen in the last couple now, our, our mission is, and it always has been, to make sure people don't play random, crappy NFL.com leagues because they don't have enough friends or people that they know to play with. That's kind of the mantra that myself and Stocks live by. And if it means I have to play in 60 year, uh, sixty leagues a year, then, then so be it. It's difficult, it's challenging, it's a lot of time, but it's worth it if mm. we can kill off those random leagues on NFL.com. But um, you find that sometimes people because it's so easily accessible it's almost gone the other way that it's like because it's not that much effort if things aren't going well people can just sort of tune out or mm -hmm. whereas you i think i still have that very much old school mentality of you don't quit because what else can you do like it, when you've worked so hard in terms of like when you play in leagues where you literally would have to i mean i remember one time i was off school and in order to get my team in, I had to put it on AIM. <laughs> like this is what I mean. random things like like this and no websites and apps and things like that. So I think, you know, I think some I do think some some people do have it very easy. And and I, I know, you know, we've talked about this in terms of lockdown. There were a lot of people that, that did probably more leagues than uh, they wanted to or could could be able to really concentrate on. And, and that's a very, very easy mistake when you've got so much at your fingertips mm -hmm. and we're all guilty of it i was guilty of it you're probably guilty of it i know many people were yeah um so i think when going forward a good lesson learning for this year is think about what's your comfortable level and probably go one or two leagues under that so that you've always got room for the new shiny league that someone dangles at you three weeks before the season starts yeah no i uh, i was guilty of that and i i i held my hands up um mm. and and told you that because i most of my leagues, I don't. Uh, people find this strange, and I've told this to many people, and even um, especially to Americans and things that I don't have a home league. I, I was in 
technically a home league a few years ago and it was my first dip in IDP but I just I'm it's something I need to get better at is the whole trade thing and it's something that I I really I really want to work on and it's something I'm gonna explore with you guys through the Patreon um probably in the off season going into next season but I ended up with a WhatsApp group with the sleeper chat um the sleeper app hosted the league and it was you know the trades to me one plus one plus one equals three but to them three is equivalent of you know just a three it is what yeah. it, you know you get you tra- you trade Jared Goff or Baker Mayfield you don't trade Jared Goff for Corey Davis T.Y. Hilton and some random tight end sort of thing it's but yeah. it's it is what it, and it just became a bit arsey um to tell you the truth was but that I wasn't makes getting sense. anywhere and so I was like well I'm out if you're going to be like that you know and not actually like you know I get the banter and stuff but it was becoming to a point it was just like it was very unhelpful I was like well I'm out go and go, go and get someone else in the league so that yeah. makes sense I think it's a lot of it is is to make sure that you know I I, I was in some startup dynasties and people asked me to, to join in and and I left them because it was very very similar or it became a redraft league but you just didn't draft Hmm. where there was no action in the off season Mm -hmm. um no one really traded uh, no one really tried to everyone was trying to get one over you and Mm -hmm. and that's not really what trades is trades is you you find people who um you find a roster so if you're really strong at running back you find a roster that's really weak at running back and you trade one of your running backs for you might need a tight end or you might need a, a wide receiver or you might need something. And that really is the art of trading. The idea is that both teams walk away with something that's better mm-hmm. um, than what they've got. And, you know, you can, if you've got a lot of depth in one position, you should be trading things and it might seem on paper that it's slightly undervalued, but if your team is better, like for example, let, let's just go with a really basic example. Let's say, for example, I had James Robinson because I picked him up off waivers week one. He's blown up, but I've got Dalvin Cook and I've got um, Alvin Kamara, say. Right. Let's say I've got both those backs. I play two running backs. I could probably squeeze James Robinson into my flex, but at wide receiver, I'm really weak. Wide receiver, Corey Davis is my wide receiver too. And he's a bit inconsistent and we're having to rely on Tennessee having good games and high scoring games in order for Davis to be relevant, but he's also very capable of a zero. I don't really want Corey Davis as my two happy with him to a flex or a backup, but I need a stronger two, you know, there's nothing wrong with, if I was finding a team, you know, I'd be looking for James Robinson and thinking I'd like to get a Robert Woods, a Marvin Jones, um, DJ Moore, (laughs) Robbie Anderson, maybe, those sorts of kind of ilk of player where James Robinson in the end would have massively outperformed one of those other wide receivers, but I would have been so much better at wide receiver as a result. And therefore my team would have been better. Hmm. If you change. And I get Robert Woods who ended up as the wide receiver 13. You look at that on paper and say, well, the guy James Robinson won the deal. But if the, if the wide receiver 13 got me into the, the championships and then I won the league, because he massively outperformed Corey Davis. Yeah. I won the trade because yeah. I got better. That that's the the nuance that people I don't think really grasp. And so as a result, 
there is a massive mentality where people try to win the trade. Hmm. They massively try to win the trade. If you try and win the trade, you lose. At the end of the discussion, you lose because the whole point is your team has to be better. And, and if you're not playing an asset, even if he's worth more, he's not playing. So he's not worth anything. That's what. And, and the other thing that people get into their heads is their draft value. So people go, well, I drafted him in the first round. Therefore, yeah. he's a first round pick. Mm-hmm. But if you drafted Nick Chubb in the first round or you drafted Joe Mixon in the first round or you drafted... Uh, I'm trying to think of a good example here. Um, Julio Jones in the first round, like first, say, or beginning of the second. Mm-hmm. Where they were picked. Oh, but I drafted him that high, therefore I have to get a player of that ilk. No, the, the draft, the draft value when the draft ends, it, it's irrelevant. The number doesn't matter anymore. Yeah, it really, really doesn't matter unless you're in dynasty and you're trading picks. That's very, very different. So you have to, you have to think about these things and think about you. Your whole goal with a trade is to make your team better, and trading someone who's on your bench. <laughs> Uh, for a piece that goes in your lineup makes you better and yeah that's the no, people don't do that that makes total sense and it is like it is just wrapping your head around that and uh, i mean i've played fantasy for quite a few years but in random nfl leagues or whatever and i'm doing that I, I really don't think makes you a better player at all just playing for the sake of playing is doesn't really make you any better for me to begin with i didn't i i didn't necessarily play to win although I'm competitive and I want to win all the time and that's just part of me and I think that's why in in the whole COVID thing and taking on so many leagues that I wasn't winning so again I got discarded to the side sort of thing because that then took away from my winning mentality in a way but Mm it is you know you get just because someone is looking for a tight end trading Jay Sternberger isn't Actually, you know that no, that's a, that was the sort of things I was getting yeah. thrown at me at some point during this season, and I was just like, "Well, that's uh, yeah, okay. I've only got Logan Thomas and maybe um, Will Disley or something like that." But giving me Sternberger to bolster my tight ends isn't really bolstering anything because it's, no. it's worthless. So, but, yeah, and I, and I think that's the part that people need to need to understand is is that again if I'm sitting here and I'm thinking about, I've got an asset I want to trade. I'm looking at the other 11 teams in the league. Um, I will always go to the people I've done trades with first. This is why home leagues are quite cool. And the fact that you haven't got one, is my mission now that I'm going to start one and we'll do a home league, you and me, and we'll get some of the five rush guys and we'll get some of the, Hey, maybe, do you know what? Why don't you get some of the, the Pat's chat guys? We'll get some of the five yard guys. And we'll do a twelve-team league, and we'll and we'll do it as a redraft, but we'll commit to it year to year. Yes, yeah, so, so it sounds like a good idea to me, definitely, because uh, that's uh, we've got the. Um, I'm in the five-yard rush dynasty league. Um, that's right. Already, so uh, it's but you know that's the kind of thing I'm. I was thinking of for this year was to, you know, somewhat you guys get people involved in the podcast a little bit more because, um, you can say you know 
at us and tweet us and whatever but some people just aren't into that and that's just it's not their bag so that's fine and i totally get it but if you want to get involved with fantasy murph's offering up um get in touch and we'll we'll sort something out and that's i'll get it if it's not it doesn't have to be tomorrow Uh, we'll we'll make that clear well it can be in june july or whatever and we'll we'll get it sorted out for sure no that sounds cool thanks very much for that murph that always i think it's important to have a home league so i've had several that have gone away by the wayside just with moving away people's commitments kids all that sort of thing right um it happens um i joined the league last year so um a couple of listeners invited me into a league and they said look this league's been going 10 years and i was like oh okay this is exciting and one guy's dropped out can you take um you know would you take a franchise and i was thinking like oh, it's 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 july I'm in a lot of leagues. Oh, I kind of, I kind of was umming and ahhing, right? And so, um, and then this, they wrote one line that sold it to me. And it's like, oh, by the way, Adam ranks in it. And I was like, <laughs> I'm in. <laughs> and basically, there's, there's, there's this group of ten people who, and the commission and several friends. You know, a couple of them have been really good fan uh, friends, of the podcast, etc. And and basically, they went on. They knew they've been following Adam Rank for years. And basically they went to this event um, that Adam Rank hosted. I don't know all the details, but effectively what happened was it was like a, about fantasy leagues. And as a result, Adam Rank agreed to join their league and he's been in their league for the last four years. Uh-huh. Um, and so I was like, well, yeah, I'm done. So, um, and then they do a live draft and it was done via zoom, etc. this year. And, uh, it was my wife's birthday, so I kind of dipped in and out of it. Um, but yeah, it was it was very cool to watch like Adam Rank post videos about why he's picked this player at this player. Very very cool, and there was a lot of chat. And um, yeah, it, it's a very active group. Um, it's a bit old schooly because it's sort of the chat is hosted on Facebook as a private Facebook group. Okay. Uh, instead of like WhatsApp or something, so it makes you think about what you want to post and interact. But very very cool league, and that's why. That's my number one home league now. Not just because it's got Adam Rank in it, just a... that everyone's trying to snipe everyone. And some of the trades are just nuts. It's awesome. It's just got everything that a home league should have. And they live stream the draft. And yeah, and, and that, they're the kind of leagues that you want to enjoy. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so spoiler alert, right in the 2021 playbook right now, and I've just literally finished a chapter of 10 things. I'm not going to give him all right now, <laughs> but 10 things to help you do well in your draft. And, you know, a lot of the things that you need to be successful in the draft have to be the sort of things that only a home league can kind of spit out. And that includes like the teams that the people that you're playing with support and some uh, very interesting details or stories, um, creating some props. There's some bits around that sort of thing. And the draft itself is the best day of the year in that in, in any home league because that's the one day that everybody just comes on and just has an absolute giggle. Whether you do it remotely, whether you do it uh, in person, you can have an absolute laugh um, doing it. And I think you kind of won the league because that will take away from the monotony of, of setting lineups with leagues where you don't know everyone and you're doing it because you you enjoy it and you've got a, a sickness for it but the home leagues where you, you get to know people that's that's the best part hmm. yeah um, no definitely it's it's what 
I think that was what got away from me personally this year was yeah. having so many leagues and the wife would say I'm on my phone and that enough as it is you don't want to be sitting there for so long trying to know x y and z person across 15 16 20 leagues whatever it might be that then it just it makes it impersonal and I think I was to get it reverts right back to what you're saying about the nfl.com leaks that they're impersonal and that's why people just dip it out of them when they're not winning and yeah it's it can become a a bad cycle i think um 100 and i think i think it's it's so easily done i've done it everyone i know has done it right it happens um but i think you'll especially with what we've gone a population with a pandemic and being at home for so long and all the struggles when you get out of this cycle of being at home 23 hours a day and you're able to experience some of the things that we used to experience pre-pandemic, whether they're the same or not, who who knows? Your free time, you're going to value so much more. You know, you're not, people might rush originally to try and do all the things they used to do before. But it comes to the point where you think, okay, I've now all this free time that I perhaps never had, the ability to go out and go see people and go do this and go do that you really want to be quite wise with it and think about where do I want to invest my time and playing fantasy football will be there for a lot of us. And a lot of us will do it, but I want to spend my time, you know, with drafts and getting to know people. And um, I love it when someone tries to think they've got one over me and fail <laughs> and those sorts of <laughs> things. I think that's the sort of things I like the banter. I like the banter and the chat and everything that goes with that as much as the winning, because even when I'm not winning, um, I like the fact that I can ruin someone else's season. <laughs> yeah, I remember. That's what gets me through it. I remember listening to that episode when you said that. I thought, ah, oh, that's brilliant. And then I just didn't actually get around to doing it, which kind of <laughs> bugs me a wee bit. <laughs> I, I get fixated on if someone has beat me in the past and they and my season's over and they're running for a title, I'm going to do everything in my power short of tanking my team to make sure that they that they that they lose. And that means me beating them. And I will literally, I'll pull randoms off waivers. I'll do whatever it takes. I'll, I'll plan my waivers three weeks in advance, knowing that he's going to have four players on a bye week in week nine and start stashing week nine players <laughs> who could go off, who've got absolutely nothing to do with um, my plans at all. Um, I might stash a load of DSTs or a load of quarterbacks or whatever. And just and my mission will be to make sure that person loses. Hmm. Uh, that's call fun. it call it a big move <laughs> whatever but that they're the sorts of things that get you through the season is fueled by that and i love it when someone says i can't believe murph's done that what <laughs> you know that that's what i love about it so yeah but that's why i love the sport because mm. it's so much fun yeah no definitely so i think we'll shift away from the fantasy in case we're we're uh, boring people's ears by now and actually look at this um uh, the Super Bowl matchup because that's ultimately what um, you're on to do is to look at the matchup and look at your team because um, if you've not figured out by now and you didn't know that Murph is a Buccaneer which is great this is why I've got him on not just because he's um, a friend or anything like that but because he is a Buccaneer and the general feeling in Patch Jack country is we hate the Chiefs Um <laughs> Ultimately, I would have liked the Bills to have got through, so then that kind of negated that, but then they did what they did and they got through. And on the opposite side, with um, me and Jake were speaking about the NFC side of it with Brady, and there's, I cannot believe the amount of 
of chat there's been in the last week or 10 days or so of, oh, if you don't support Brady, you're not a Patriots fan, all this kind of thing. And, oh, well, I support the team and not a man, he's gone and that's it, end of. And I've got, I'm more about that sort of thought process. I didn't really care who won in the, the Green Bay uh, Buccaneers game. The only thing that I did care about was actually ended up wanting Green Bay to win because <laughs> the contest league that um, yeah. we're doing was I was like, crap. I've used Brady. I'm currently using Josh Allen. If both of them get through, I have no quarterback because the whole point <laughs> of it being that you can't pick the same player twice. Yeah. So it ended up that I needed Green Bay to get through if it meant the Bills got through because at least I could then use Rodgers as my quarterback for uh, the contest. But apart from that, I had no preference whatsoever. Great for Brady. Once him do well and Gronk and even maybe to a certain extent, um, because although he's all these personal problems he's had over recent times that is well documented, at one stage or another he has been an absolutely superb player to the league and to the Steelers um, specifically. So, yeah, I didn't really care. But now that it's against the Chiefs and Brady is the, the Buccaneers quarterback, that is all changed. It is all changed and it's Buccaneers all the way. So let's get into it. Where Where's your head and your heart? just now or is that too too obvious really I mean, the heart the heart's obvious right so let's just excuse the emotion on let's take it all out of it right yeah so you have to look at what the buccaneers have done all season now um you know i i put the buccaneers at nine wins at the start of the season i looked at the schedule thought they'd go into the bye week maybe maybe six and six that was kind of where i was looking at where we were going to win and lose games um, we beat Green Bay early, so that obviously chalked it away from six and six to, to seven and five. The rest of the games, I was pretty confident with where they went, losing twice to the Saints, not a surprise. Uh, losing to the Rams, a little bit disappointing, but not a surprise. Losing to the Bears was the biggest shot. Um, uh, losing to the Chiefs in week 12, not, not a surprise. You, you look at the schedule, it was very front heavy. You, then you had a team who had no offseason. They had no practices, really. Um, no time to get to know each other. And it wasn't like we've just brought in Tom Brady. It's Tom Brady and Gronk and Leonard Fournette and LaShawn McCoy. And then you've got Tyler Johnson, the draft pick. Um, <laughs> everything changes. And so, you know, everything was always going to take a bit of time. And the Buccaneers, I felt, looked average, probably slightly above average. First 12 weeks of the season. Hmm. Um, thought they had some really good points for they looked really good at times and then thought at times they looked pretty poor pretty average um, and I think that's partly to be expected with the pandemic and all these new players and I think part of it was just there wasn't they just didn't seem to be on the same page I also thought that the play calling was very suspect it was very obvious um, lowest rate team for play action uh, lowest rate team for RPO Lowest rated team for um, amount of runs on third down. Uh, a lot of uh, second lowest team on second down uh, percentages of passing to, to rushing. You know, we were talking about, it's pretty obvious to know that the, the, the Bucks were 50-50 pass, pass run on first down. They were 85-15 pass on second down. They were 92-8 on third down passing. So we knew what was coming. Third and three, oh, Brady's throwing the ball. It was obvious what was happening and teams figured it out. The bye week happens and all of a sudden something changed. I don't know what it is. The 
the the playbook got wider the confidence went up everything seemed to change and you know the Buccaneers haven't lost since you know they've been mm. on the road to three division champions okay you can sit there and say one of them's Washington and they had a losing record that's fine um I think everyone expected the Buccaneers to win that game and they did very few people expected the Buccaneers to turn up in New Orleans who had shellacked them twice in the season and beat them and they beat them comfortably it wasn't even the, the scoreline I think gives more credit to to what actually happened which was four turnovers to none and then the AFC Championship game, which don't forget, the Packers never led that game. Yeah, They were never in front. And you can talk about Brady's three picks. You can talk about Rodgers not taking advantage. You can take advantage of, you can say, look, fourth and eight, bad decision by the floor, whatever you take it. At the end of the day, they never led the game. Mm. The, the Buccaneers really should have finished the game off and didn't. They let them hang around. They made it closer than it was. And, and, and that's really the story of the Buccaneers season. They've not played four quarters of perfect football. They've turned up for two, two and a half quarters, three quarters. They never played four games, four quarters in a game where they've been outstanding. And that really is going to have to change in the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. They're going to have to play very, very well for four quarters. It's something they haven't done in 19 games this season. Uh, if they do that, they have a chance. If they don't, they will probably lose the game. So they're going to have to bring in a lot of different personnel packages. They're going to have to start playing, you know, Andy, Andy Reid, uh, Eric Bieniemy, uh, Steve Spagnola, all, all those guys are highly intelligent, highly good football coaches. Give them game tape and they will eat it up and know exactly how to coach against it. This Buccaneers team is going to have to put plays on the field that they haven't seen, that they haven't been able to coach and scheme against. Mm. They're going to have to take a lot of chances, which against Green Bay, they did. They took a lot of chances. You talk about fourth and three. You talk about going for it to Scotty Miller, last play of the half. You know, they have to continue to to go for it. Yeah, definitely. They're... And take advantage. They have to bring blitz packages, which haven't been seen. Um, I was speaking to Jeff Reinbold in the week, and he was saying it would be really interesting to see um, them take a tackle out. So maybe someone like, uh, Vita Vea out for packages and bring in an extra DB to handle Kelsey and, and, and Hill and then rush up the middle with someone like White and hopefully get a mismatch. Things like that are things that we haven't seen that they that we would need to see from the Buccaneers in order to win the game. Listen, the Chiefs are heavy favourites. They are the best team in football. They've earned that right to be called the best team in football right now. They're defending champions. They blitz through. You can say they're 14-2. and two. They didn't care about the last game of the season. So really 14 and one let's take the loss away they put second stringers out there um it's going to be an, a fascinating game and if the buccaneers can handle tyree kill and if they can handle travis kelsey they have a very very good chance of winning this football game but that is probably the biggest diff in football because no one's managed to do it yet <laughs> yeah I'm, i mean i'm still waiting for the day that the that shuffle pass that they've done near the goal line a few times now um whoever the announcing team is on on the game just seem to go wild for it but I'm just waiting for the day that um, it's figured out by someone and they just get absolutely it's almost end up being like the Malcolm Butler pick against the Seahawks if they they manage to do and hopefully it might be the Bucks that can do that and figure it out because it's it's such an annoying play and you can almost see it coming every time but how do you stop someone like that? <laughs> it's so annoying that they can do things like that. But at the same time, you've 
you've got to respect it in a way, don't you? You do, and a lot of it is because they create mismatches. Um, their offensive line have been very good this season, and it's allowed them to get a lot of time um, to create those sorts of things, even when they've contained the first wave or the first wave has broken down, they've contained the second wave. What is highly different this year is they're without both their left tackle and right tackle for this game. So they're playing backup tackles. They're playing against two of the better edge rushers in the NFL in JPP and Shaq Barrett. Um, you know, Shaq Barrett being last season's sack leader and, and JPP a pro bowler this year, pro bowler the year before he's been there and done it all in, in a Super Bowl as well. At the end of the day, you've got two guys here who can really uh, add an, an amount of pressure that, that, you know, I don't think Mahomes has had this year for one reason or the other. So it comes down to, can they get enough pressure and get to Mahomes quicker enough or quickly enough to stop him from doing things like that? From scrambling away and keeping with him from creating the heroic plays. Eyes in the middle in Sue and Vita Vea shoving back. Hmm. You can start to cause reverse pressure you start getting guys into Mahomes. You start getting into Mahomes' face. We saw it on Sunday with Brady. Now, you've watched Brady a lot. You know, Pat's fan. Everyone listening to this has watched Brady for years. You will all understand what I'm about to say next. Brady is an absolutely world-class, best quarterback of all time when you give him time and space in the pocket to do whatever the heck he wants to do. On Sunday, the Packers, for three quarters, didn't get near Brady didn't get near him and he just was able to pick his time, pick his spots, carve them open time and time again, uh, move the ball, get, get yards, eat clock. As soon as they got pressure on him, three picks. All right. One of them's on the wide receiver really, but the other two, he's, he's throwing the ball blind. That's how you beat Brady. Yeah. So, and, and that, in the guy's face. You have to really get in his face and stop him from having a clean pocket. The Chiefs are going to have to do the same thing because they're going to have to get at the offensive line and they're going to have to get Brady on the floor. They're going to have to rough him up. They're going to have to make him feel really uncomfortable. And really, the the, the defensive offensive lines of both these teams are probably the keys to victory. Everyone will say it's it's Hill, it's Kelsey. They're the big-time players, but those offensive-defensive lines, if they, if they go soft at any point... Game's over for whoever it is that happens and whoever buckles first. Yeah, I think so. I think it was two seasons ago, was it? We played the Texans and Merciless and Clowney started off almost against right and left tackle, but almost every time without fail, whether they swapped it or whatever they, they managed to do, they came right up the gut, up the middle, pressure, pressure Brady, and then, you know, it's... It was then a race to who could, could he throw the ball quicker or was he going to get sacked? And that's always been his his Achilles heel, really, is that up the middle pressure. He can see it from the left. He can see it from the right quite. I mean, he's not the most mobile, as everyone knows, but he can shift out the way and throw it away if need be. He's always won the the best, I think, at um, throwing it away when he needs to. He doesn't, I think part of the problem with, with Josh Allen has been, and I thought it might have it looked like it changed this year, but then he seemed to revert back to at the weekend um, mm. against the Chiefs was that just throw it away. You don't have to keep looking and looking and looking. Five, six, seven seconds he was holding on to the ball and then you know, 
it didn't matter. Like, just get rid. Keep the you've got the game clock. You go to second and ten or third and ten, whatever. Start again. But um, yeah, he's it's something that he'll need to work on. But it's something that Brady's always been good at, and is that quick release two two and a half seconds, bang, balls out. Um, yeah. Even the Scotty Miller one. Scotty Miller had to run what, 40, 50 yards before he caught the ball. It was still out within a few seconds. Um, and, you know, it, re- it resulted in the touchdown. But I think the one of the men you've mentioned there, Vita Vea, he had, a, to me, had a huge game on Sunday and it made all yeah. the world a difference, speaking of that pressure um, that they made Rodgers feel. Um, and what helped cause the sacks by Barrett and JPP was that well, if Vita Vea wasn't there, I, mm. I think it would have been a completely different result personally. I don't know how you feel on that one. I think Steve McClendon's been very good. Um, excellent acquisition from the Jets mid-season. I think we swapped a, a 2022nd, 6th for a 2023rd, 7th or something. It was some ridiculous what the guy was playing in Miami he ended up just driving when we sent a car and he went went to Tampa and signed his deal um it, it, it you know I, I think he, he's been exceptional but I think you make a very good point with Vita Ver and it, it's highlighted more by what he allows Barrett to do because mm-hmm. you've got Sue requires a double team Fair requires a double team yeah. and that allows JPP and and Barrett to get free and there's no surprise that Chat Barrett got the sacks because in the 22 games that Barrett and Vea have played together, Shaq Barrett has 25.5 sacks. <laughs> the staggering. I mean, that's a ridiculous. It? Yeah, because what happens is he is he opens up that side and that lane for for Vea, uh, for, for Barrett to come around the corner, almost unsighted and unguarded, and to come and get the pressure. I mean, when was the last time you saw Rogers get hit as many times as he did on Sunday? I mean, you got hit a lot. I mean, we're yeah. talking about five sacks. You're talking about seven or eight knockdowns, um, interceptions. You know, the Buccaneers are responsible for half the interceptions that Aaron Rodgers gave up this season. Uh, in, <laughs> yeah, in two I saw games. that stat. It's mad, eh? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, you're talking about because they, they found the way to beat him mm. and they stopped him in the red zone and, and all those sorts of things with these sacks. I don't know if necessarily the same plan works against the Chiefs because... Mahomes can hurt you in ways that Aaron Rodgers can't. So I think it's it's about you have to be aware of what you're doing through the middle just as much as you are aware of having to get to the quarterback. Because what I noticed in the in the Bills game is the Bills have basically decided in this game, we're not going to give up the big play. Right? You're not going to get a 60, 70 yard score. We're going to make sure that we play deep. We're going to play a lot of covers coverage. We're going to make sure that we're 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 not allowing Hill to get that lane. To, to break off. All right, he did once in the game. I think he got a 70-yard play off, but they didn't score from it. But what they did then is they opened up the middle. Right, mm-hmm. If you're going to beat us, you're going to beat us through the middle. So Mahomes and Kelsey went, all right, ping, <laughs> ping, ping, ping. How many catches did Kelsey have? 13? I, I lost count eventually yeah, on the stat sheet. You had 10 at halftime. You, you have to do a way where you have to create pressure in the middle and pressure out wide um, with coverage. So I think you'll see a lot of a lot of double coverage on on Hill. I think you'll see a combination of Carlton Davis, who I think probably had his worst game of his career in the NFC Championship game. Um, he didn't handle Devontae Adams very well at all. It just so happened he got bailed out by the pressure. But I think you'll see a lot of Sean Murphy bunting going over there, maybe Jamal Dean 
um, playing on the other side. I think you'll see a lot of 3DB coverages um, to, to cover that. And then you'll have hopefully Winfield Jr. back, um, who was a massive loss in the NFC title game. And fingers crossed Jordan Whitehead has not been ruled out yet as the time of recording this. Um, I hope he comes back because he was instrumental in, in that win with the two forced fumbles. Devin White. So I think it's it's key to have these guys back and to use these guys and rotem to to manage Hill and manage Kelsey. And if we can do that, like I said, I think we've got an excellent chance of winning the game. Mm. Yeah, I think so. And I was just, just when you're um, speaking there, I was thinking back to I think it was the the was it the Chargers game in the the playoffs a couple of years ago that the Patriots had, and a lot of the time Bill went with like six and seven DBs almost, and and linebackers, and just as you were speaking about earlier, like taking that person away from the front line and adding the extra end to the back. Do you think that's something that we might see um, uh, during the game at all? that might help combat the, the speed and the, lay, the Kelsey getting up in the middle. Um, you know, if we'll yeah. see it, but I think it's an option because you'll have the good thing about having someone like Devin White in the middle there and Levante David, both of these guys, is they're so quick. So if the lane opens up, those guys can get to the, to get to the QB quickly and that will allow you to rush the QB in a different way, which will make it far more interesting a game. I think the Buccaneers have to do a lot of, a lot of things that they have deal um you know the one thing that that one thornhill is going to be aware of now is he's going to be aware of scotty miller's speed so pulling off a, a play like he did before halftime it's gonna be much harder to do now because that's been on play that's been on tape a couple of times they know how yeah. to cover that i think antonio brown is is a really important piece in this game if he plays if he's fit and he plays i think he's a very important piece because he's going to allow you to move the chains i think the buccaneers have to not just go for the big play like they did against the the, char, uh, the the Packers. They actually have to have long, sustained drives. I think they really, you know, the way to beat the Chiefs, it isn't to go up heavily early. It isn't to try and come back on them and sneak up on them. It's to maintain the ball. You know, the Chiefs, if you're comparing this to Premier League football, you know, they're like Man City. They want the ball. They want to hold the ball. They want to really drive the clock. They can score quickly. They can score in long drives but they want to dominate the time of possession. They want to be on the ball as much as possible. The Buccaneers have to change that narrative. They have to really go on very long, punishing drives, 12-play, 13-play, 15-play drives. Um, and AB is going to allow you to do that in that sort of makeshift slot role um, where he's going to be able to get you a chunk of eight here, a chunk of seven there, 11 here, cheeky first down there. You know, that that's what the Buccaneers are going to have to do score quickly but also they need to they can't score too quickly on the Chiefs because they'll come straight back up you know they can they can go end zone to end zone 30 seconds less so you need to keep the ball they need to force turnovers get the extra possessions you know the Buccaneers for me the key to this win a turnover battle even if it's one nothing you've got to win the turnover battle you've got to stop them on special teams and make sure that they don't get any big gains and cheap yards and you've got to hold the ball if the Buccaneers dominate the time of possession, and I'm talking about 35, 25 or more, they don't turn the ball over and they manage to stop the Chiefs from getting big, big yardage on on punts and special teams. I wouldn't be surprised if all those things happen, the Buccaneers win the football game. But they're easier things to say than do. 
Yeah, it's easy. It is easy just to sit, sit here and be like, right, we need to do this, we need to do that, we need to do that. Yeah. It's like, as you say, coming up against Man City, uh, um, you can say, right, we need to cut out. Um, well, last season or this year, Bernardo Silva, you need to like get at them. They like passing the ball about the back. It's what they like doing. You need to be high press and all the rest of it. And then all of a sudden, bang, 3 0. And it's 25 minutes gone. The game's over. But it circles all the way back to the expatriate himself, Tom Brady. Um, mm. I think he's one of the masters of these long drives that you speak of. And game management is his number one skill, really. And yeah, he he can do it like no other, um, in my opinion. And he's the perfect man. And if you, I think for the neutral, if you get a game like the AFC Championship, it's a, amazing, it's brilliant. The, as in the AFC Championship a couple of years ago, um, before we went on the the Super Bowl against the Rams. So if you get a game like that for the neutral, brilliant. For the NFL, brilliant. If you get a result, the same. Swap out the name Patriots or Buccaneers, brilliant. Happy days, Super Bowl. Yeah, I, and, and it's in the Raymond James Stadium. So, I mean, what else? What else could you ask for? Would be pretty good on the road, as Bruce said. Um, there's there's a few interesting bits and pieces um, to that. Obviously, playing at home, we've not been at home for a while. You know, five of our last seven wins, five of them been on the road. Um, so, I don't know. I think we're kind of used to it. The fact that we're playing in white, I think, fascinates me. Um, why we're not going with the home color? We've done pretty well in white. Maybe I think they want to have that feel of underdog away field kind of thing. It's a hard thing to do in Tampa. The good thing about playing in Tampa is, is more the condition. I don't think Tampa's been necessarily a strong home field advantage for the Buccaneers. I don't look at the Buccaneers teams of the last 10 years and think, oh, wow, we've really made advantage of of home field. <laughs> like I don't look at what we've done and gone, oh, yeah, I feel really confident because we're at home. <laughs> Um, but what it does do is it negates a lot of things. It negates snow, wind, rain. It's outdoors. Suck-up's used to it. Okay, Butker is, and he's a good kicker. But kicking in Tampa is slightly different than kicking in, in Kansas City, as we've seen with how many failed Buccaneers kickers have we seen now over the years. <laughs> it's not an easy place to go and kick. Um you know, it, it's those that that to me is more home field advantage, just the kicking than anything else. Mm. Um, but I think it's interesting. I think it's not just the home. I, I, I think it's going to be a classic game. Um, I think there's going to be so many positives. You can't see this being a game where there's only 30, 35 points. You know, no. you're looking at 40 points minimum. Um, I think there'll be lead changes. I think there will be a lot of a lot of things. I think for me as a fan, the one thing I don't want is for it to come down to a dubious call. Hmm. Um, win or lose. Because if you win, it's like, well, the, the NFL and, and the referees favor Brady. You've had this chat more than <laughs> yeah. anyone. I'm I'm starting to get <laughs> elusive to it where people are people are really called at the end of the game. I was like, You're upset because the guy's pulling his jersey and you can clearly see it. Like, <laughs> oh yeah, but they didn't they didn't call all the others. And you're like, Yeah, you've got to call sure it if he's back. <laughs> <laughs> this is what I mean. I just think it's crazy. I, I just for me, I think whatever happens, right, win lose. Buccaneers weren't supposed to be here. We were gearing up for next year. Next year, I think, is a bigger year. Um, and the expectations now rise even further for the Buccaneers next year. So their challenge becomes so much harder um to try and, and win it in 2021. So really your window is now. It's this one game. But I think whatever happens, even if they lose. 
I think that the key thing here is just to remember that it is a Super Bowl. Not all teams get here. The Buccaneers haven't been here in 18 years. Um, they've not been in the playoffs in 12 years. They haven't won in a playoff game in 18 years. You know, um, whatever happens, what they've done, what Brady has done when the the hatred and the, the test of time has, has passed and uh, we're talking about Brady 10, 15 years from now, people will look at the season and go, what he's done is, is nothing short of extraordinary. You know, third in the league in passing yards this season at, at age 43. 40 touchdowns, third was tied second in the league this season in, in passing touchdowns, led the league last week seven. The, the guy has shown that he's still a top five quarterback in this league at age 43. I mean, that's just remarkable. <laughs> and and Gronk and the things that he's been able to do for this offensive line and the selfless work he's done. And Antonio Brown, as you say, Leonard Fournette, so many guys. Um, and this defensive unit who two years ago everyone was laughing at um so it, it's just a, a fascinating battle i just hope it's it's good i hope it's enjoyable but more importantly i just really hope for the game itself it's not decided by a call or a non-call it's it's decided by the best team and the best team wins the game that for me is is the ultimate outcome because it's the super bowl is the best game it's the best game of the year with the two best teams Let's have it played in the right yeah. spirit, in the right frame, and and then we'll see what happens. But I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be a laugh. Yeah, definitely. You do, as you say, you don't want something like was the the Saints Vikings game um, to be a call that's spoken about for years to come as the thing that was the the catalyst of the win for whatever team it is. You know, you don't want to be in an, in an FA Cup final and be talking about the referee giving a penalty in the 89th minute for years to come. You want to. Um, the best team to come out on the day, regardless of it's the the Chiefs or the Buccaneers, which uh, I mean, it happened last year. The the best team won. Forty um, ers had it for a half, and then or three quarters, and then just completely capitulated. And but ultimately, that's that's the game, and that's partly why we love it. Is you get things like that that happens. But and just a couple of things before I let you go, Murph. Is one you, you mentioned the white uniforms there? Do you think that might be? A Brady superstition thing because he is. I think it's the, been the white suit uniforms for us. And the second part of that is the comments from um, head coach that he liked. He likes Brady coaching. He lets Brady coach, and he didn't get a choice to coach in in um, in New England sort of thing. And instantly Patriots Twitter just went mental because it's like did he not watch a football life there's an actual clip of him and Belichick sitting there picking Brady's brain and not the other way around and he says right I like this this is what we should do and to me it's it was why he wanted DB in in New England and it's why he wanted DB in in Tampa as well as he likes doing these things or the white jerseys truth be told I don't know I really don't know it could be it would be interesting to see if that, if it's more the fact they've been on a winning run in the playoffs with this, they, they've knocked off three division champions in the white jerseys to to do it again. Uh, why not? Um, so may, I think that maybe played a part more than more than anything. Um, but it could be it could be the Brady superstition. I guess we'll never really know. Yeah. Um, we know Brady's superstitious. I mean, like he very nearly was TB7 in Tampa Bay. That was the number he was going to get uh, before Chris Godwin kindly took, uh, kindly gave him the 12 jersey 
and switched to 14. But Brady would have played in seven. That would have been interesting to see Brady with a different number on. But um, Godwin kindly gave it up. I think it was for a charitable donation to a foundation or something. But regardless of what it was, it was nice that that happened. As for Bruce Arians, I think Bruce only acts on what he's told. Um, That comment would have come from Tom. Maybe it was Tom. I don't think having a dig. Maybe it was like, I've got more opportunity to coach here. I'm able to do more things here than I was allowed to do. And that could be very true. Um, I go back to Peter King at the very start of the season when they were, they, they did some filming of, of OTAs and he was on the sideline and he was coaching OJ Howard about his positioning, about his route and everything. And he was working and, you know, he was going where to go, AJ, OJ, or OJ hands here, or OJ one step there, and and he was actively coaching the tight ends. Maybe Brady's allowed a lot more freedom. Uh, you can see if you've looked at the game since the bye week, there's a lot more Patriots plays in there. There's a lot more. You could probably watch this and and copy and paste the 2015, 2016 Patriots. I mean, for yeah. some of the plays that you're seeing in here with Leonard Fournette coming in and some of the things he did in the NFC championship game this weekend, for example, I think there's a lot of um, similarities and things that are comfortable with Brady. Ultimately, I think the end of it is there is an, an absolute trust in Arians and Brady for one another. I've watched a lot of Tom Brady. I've watched him a lot. He is having more fun, whether that's because the pressure's off him. He's in a different team. He's excelled expectations. I don't know why, but this is a Tom Brady that looks happier, more relaxed, more at peace. Um, Gronkowski always, that was always going to be the case with Gronkowski before. <laughs> he's pretty much allowed to do whatever the heck he likes. He's like the Dennis Rodman now of, of this team. Yeah. Um, maybe not quite as wild, but I, I can't help but feel like Brady is... He's not playing for his legacy. He's, his legacy is cemented, regardless of what he does here. He's proved everyone wrong. He's achieved what he wanted to achieve in terms of getting to a Super Bowl where no one said he could do it at 43 in, in a new team. Um, that he's not a system quarterback, all this malarkey, right? It's all gone away. So we don't know if he's just playing with house money and he just feels free. I don't know if him and Belichick over the last couple of years didn't get on. We'll find out one day. It's not for me to, to speculate, but the one thing I'll say, he's just having a lot more fun. He just looks like the Tom Brady of of 10 years ago in mm. terms of the smile on his face, the mannerisms on the sideline, the talking to guys on the sideline. The, you know, and we started to see a really humanistic side of Tom Brady this year. You know, NFC title win. First thing he does, he goes to the sideline and says, where's my son? Let me speak to my son. Tossing a ball with Drew Brees and his kids in the end zone. I'm not saying he never, ever did any of this stuff, but you're starting to see this a lot more, a lot more frequently. It's not just anecdotal that he seems to just be at a stage of his career where he's just content and happy. And it feels like he has an element of control that he might not have had. Or maybe he did and he wasn't allowed to express it. I don't, I don't really know, but he's definitely having more fun. He definitely has a bit more freedom and a bit of swagger in his step. And, when you've got a Tom Brady like that, he's dangerous and he can win. He can win any game. He can win any game. You know, anyone that comes in now into this game and says, I'm going to put a thousand pounds on the chiefs to win. It's a lock. This isn't going to be close is, is naive. 
mm. and probably not watch that much NFL. <laughs> yeah. um, because, yes, the Chiefs are favourites, and rightfully so. Would it be the biggest shock in the world if, if the Chiefs won this game? Absolutely not. But would it be the biggest shock if Tampa and Tom Brady did it? No. I think, you know, you can't ever rule Tom Brady out until it's it's four zeros on the clock at the end of the fourth quarter. Yeah, I mean, they were the Chiefs were favourites in that AFG, AFC Championship game I talked about before. And look what happened there. Patriots won out, went in Arrowhead and won, went on to Super Bowl and won that as well. Um, but... I think it's. I think there's definitely some truth in what you're saying there, and um, I think also at the the stage that Brady's at now, he is just basically soaking it all in. He he doesn't. Before he would have gone to his teammates and whether it's Amendola or Edelman or Gronk, whoever you want to pick, and go, I'm celebrating this with them. But now his kids are of an age that they know what's going on. Like Drew Brees' kids are obviously at an age that he can catch a ball, he can go and throw it to him or whatever. He can play pit, pitch and catch or whatever. He can go to the sidelines and Lambo and hug his son and things like that. I think it's all these things. It's like that that player that sits in the centre circle at the end of their career. I think it was Javi that done it um, mm-hmm. at the new camp. I think that's the sort of thing Brady's doing. He's going around these grounds now and th- kind of thinking, well, this is the last time I could be here. This is the last time I'm doing this. This is the last time I'm doing that. Let's just stand back, take five seconds and soak it in because maybe earlier in his career, you hear it countless times, whether it's NFL players, soccer players, whatever you want to, um, sport you want to, you pick on. If you're 19, 20 and a, a blase, brash, little shit of a, a person, um, you think these things are coming thick and fast forevermore and yeah okay he's won six but it's taken 20 years and it should probably never have happened and now if he wins a seventh I think you could find that he's that last person on the pitch whilst the last drop of confetti falls in his head that soaks it all in and, and takes it um, it could well be although uh, he will be back next year Gronk is back next year oh yeah it's like AB is back next year <laughs> And Bruce has said if he wins, he's back next year. So, yeah. Oh, no, I'm not uh, saying this is his swan song yeah. if he wins. It wouldn't surprise, it wouldn't completely shock me. But at the same time, like, I think he, he's a man of honour, like Wenger was, that he didn't want to break a contract at any point. He always, if he was going somewhere, it was always going to be when a, a contract was finished. And I think Brady's the same. He, he only wants to go somewhere when a, when a contract's finished. He doesn't want to be part of a trade or give up the ghost before. before the team that he's playing for has got the value out of that contract that was set in the first place. Yeah, I think that's very true. I think whatever happens, there's many more chapters of this Brady book yet to be told, mm. I think. Yeah. <laughs> well, Murph, I think we'll uh, we'll leave it there and thank you very much for your time um, this afternoon as we record. Um, and can only thank you enough for helping us preview the Super Bowl. I think myself and Jake will do something, um, either a separate pod or um, tack on then this one because I, I realise if we then do that it'll be quite a lengthy one so it might be something separate but um, just before you go tell everyone where they can find you on Twitter and the internet and things and shout out your little Ross Tucker mention for your stat that he, <laughs> he gave you as well yeah so that you can find me you can find me on Twitter at five Rush or at Murph underscore MF, uh, NFL um, yeah as uh, you were mentioning that I did some research and, and Ross Tucker sent a tweet out to say that Aaron Rodgers has 0-42 against teams um, that have a better than 500 record who 
have been leading in the fourth quarter by more than one point. It's a very niche stat, but hey, you know, it's just the way that this sort of research goes. Um, I got a lot of fire for it. It was like, well, you know, Aaron Rodgers beat the the Bears who were 12 and four in 2016 with this amazing comeback on one foot. I was like, yeah, but it was week one. (laughs) All right. He beat the nine and seven Cowboys. Yeah, but they were two and three when they beat them. Uh, oh yeah, he be you know, but he was he was you know he came back behind from the Bears to win the division. It's like yeah, they were eight and eight. Okay, um, so yeah, it was an East stat, but it, besides the point, you can find the Five Rush podcast everywhere. We have a lot of guests on. We have a Super Bowl Sunday special, which you're going to want to tune in for. Uh, we're going to be giving away a signed jersey. We haven't talked about that publicly uh, yet. Um, but we're also going to have some amazing guests. We've uh, got quite the secured a very, very special guest at the at the end of the podcast. So definitely tune in for, for that. Um, but yeah, just interact if you're interested in fantasy football. Uh, we have a playbook from last year called the the, the um, fantasy football playbook 2020. It's available via us directly, which is a lot cheaper or via Amazon. Um, and you can get a copy of that there and help you through for 2021. But we are writing the 2021 versions I talked about earlier. And yeah, just just interact with us, say hi. Um, also, if you we want to secure yourself, I don't know when this is going out, but if you want to secure yourself a, a meal from Hickory's, we're running a competition on on that right now to win a Super Bowl feast. But that closes on Tuesday, the second of February. So I don't know when this is going out. This might have already gone out and you missed it. If you did, I'm sorry. We'll probably do other giveaways for food. <laughs> Um, well, I'll tweet out because I think it might be slightly later than that um, that it goes out, but um, I'll be sure to find uh, the tweet again and, and share it and such like as well, just to make sure that people don't miss it. It's a bin tweet. There's a lot of people in it, but someone has to win a, a huge meal for their family. So Yeah, it's massive. I think uh, Les NFL Girl UK, she's doing um, from Hickory's as well, and there's one from Mugs NFL. They're doing, I can't even know how you Oh, yeah, they're doing a Philly cheese stack or something, yeah. Whatever it is, yeah, that restaurant down in uh, in London as well. But, yeah, no, thank you very much, Marf. It's been, it's been a blast. It's been a pleasure, as always. Uh, thank you for helping us preview. And, um, yeah, go Bucks. And that is it for yeah, this episode. And uh, anytime you want me back on. Perfect. And that is it for this episode, folks. Remember to rate, review, and subscribe. Chuck a five star review on Apple Podcasts or whatever you uh, podcast your app that you happen to get this podcast from. And uh, thanks again to Murph for that one. If you want to check us out on Twitter and Instagram, it's at PatsChatUK, um, at Matt Inkster for myself, at Murph underscore NFL, at Five Yard Rush for our guest today, and for Jake, it's at Jake Paul Design. But until next time, folks, and probably. After the Super Bowl, you'll hear from us again. Um, we are doing off-season content this year. It's not stopping and starting as some other podcasts do. So keep an eye out on the Twitter and socials and just your podcast app as well for that information. But until then, we'll speak soon. <laughs> <laughs>